Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser Podcast. We interview the top nonprofit fundraisers and marketers in order to provide you with practical insights for increasing generosity. You can learn more by going to virtuouscrm.com. And now, let's turn it over to our host. Hey, everybody. Today, uh, it's my pleasure to bring Jenny Chaco onto our podcast. So Jenny's the co-founder of InPart International, which has 6,500 full-time workers worldwide. They have about seven countries that they're serving in, and they reach about 6.5 million people each month. Um, Jenny's a mom of four, which is amazing. She's the director of InPart Australia. Um, she has a theology degree, and she tries to use her theology degree to um, bless people over the world as much as possible, and to be honest with you, probably as a mom as well. So Jenny, uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Gabe. It's a real privilege to be here. Yeah. So I'd love to hear a little bit of the story, and I know you guys have a super interesting story, um, but I'd love to hear a little bit about how you got started with Impart and kind of your background and, and how you kind of got interested in the ministry nonprofit space in general. Okay. Um, well, as most good stories do, it probably starts with our honeymoon. Um, we, we were actually married in India. So my husband, Jossie is Indian by birth. Um, and when we were getting married, I was really keen for us to get married in India as much as anything to be saying to his family, Hey, I'm not trying to steal this young man for the wedding. <laughs> But we're also committed to India long term too. Um, and so we were on our honeymoon and we we're actually in a train um, going from Delhi to Agra, which is where the Taj Mahal is. So we we're going down to see the Taj Mahal and this young beggar boy swept our train carriage out and then came back asking for money. Um, and we were drawn to that because it wasn't just standing there doing nothing, asking for money, but he'd actually done something constructive. And we said to him, no, um, we don't want to pay you, but we'd like you to have lunch with us. And so he joined us for some lunch. And initially there was a struggle with languages because he was from North India, Jossie's from South India, and there's 27 major languages in India. So it quite often happens that you, you can't speak to someone. But they found one common language. So they both spoke three or four different languages, but they found one in common. And as Jossie started to talk to this young guy, um, he was blown away as he started to draw out some heart things from this young boy who we think was probably about eight. Um, this young boy had been through so much and yet he had dreams and things that he wanted to see happen in his lifetime um, through his life. And Jossie was really drawn to that because growing up in India, there was always beggars around. And he had never really stopped to think, hey, people who are less advantaged than I am may actually have dreams and visions and things like that too. So unbeknownst to me, because I didn't happen to speak the language that they found in common, um, Jossie said to this young boy, so why don't you join us and come and travel with us? <laughs> and as he said that, he, his take on it is, I suddenly realized my new wife was sitting beside me and I'd actually just <laughs> join us for our honeymoon. <laughs> and um, so he turned to me and did some translating and um, yeah, I was for it. I mean, what an amazing experience. So young Raju joined us for the next few weeks in India. And I would say for 
both of us really, that was where Empire probably was initially birthed. Um, there were some other things subsequent to that where particularly um, where Jossie had an experience in North India where somebody said to him, there are people who have never even heard the name of Jesus. And he said, yeah, sure, because growing up in South India, Christianity is much more common. And he said, you can take me to meet these people, I'll believe you. And it was actually, you know, places in North India, this, this particular Indian pastor took Jossie and they would say, go into a village and say, you know, is there a church here? People would look blank, a pastor, blank, a cross, blank. Um, have you heard about Jesus? And in one of these villages, somebody said to them, you'll have to go to New Delhi to buy that. We don't sell that here. Mm. Which, you know, was that was just mind-boggling for Jossie. So on mm. top of Raju from the social side of things, to the spiritual side of the fact that people have never heard the gospel, that was really the foundation of us saying to God, okay, what do we do about this? Um, what do you want of us? And Empire was subsequently birthed from there. So we both resigned from full-time jobs back in 98, 97. Um, Jossie was in management, uh, warehouse management in particular, and I was a midwife at the time. We both had theological degrees as well. Um, and we resigned cold turkey and said, okay, God, we're going to give this 100%. And, and so that was the start of Empire. We're coming up to 20 years next year to celebrate, which is exciting. That's amazing. I love that story. I uh, Honestly, I, I feel horrible, but I had never heard that story before, and I love that. <laughs> I love, <laughs> I love that, that Jossie invited that little dude on your honeymoon. That is just fantastic. <laughs> We've I had people it. say to us, it's good you're still married. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's Actually, great. Dave, just a little plug on that. If people were interested, Jossie wrote a great book called Madness, which mm. is actually sort of our story of Empart, um, his story of growing up, um, and some of the sort of philosophy behind what we do and how we do it and why we do it. That's great. Little plug there if people were interested. Yeah, absolutely. I know I'll pick it up after hearing that story. I don't know how you could not want to. So that's great. <laughs> um, okay, so 20 years in or almost 20 years in from kind of uh, on your way to see Taj Mahal and meeting a little guy to now, what's your role look like day to day kind of for Empire? Sure. Um, I, I actually think of myself as Mama Empire. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I think my the most important thing that I do within Empire is keeping culture. Um, so understanding what Empire is, who who we are, what we represent, and and just being a real culture keeper within the organisation. So as you mentioned earlier, we our work is in Asia, um, but we have support offices in seven different countries. So obviously each one of those officers are going to look and sound totally different. They're all different languages even. Yep. Um, but we have to maintain a common culture to keep moving forward. So I would say that's my biggest role. On my day-to-day -day role for the last three years, uh, three years ago I actually stepped back into the Australian office. So obviously Jossie and I started that 20 years ago, but yep. then we both stepped out to more international roles. But the Australian side was struggling a little bit. So um, Jossie went back on as board chairman and I went back in as um, sort of country leader for here. And so that has been a really demanding role on top of um, a husband that travels about six months of the year 
and four kids ranging between 10 and 19. Um, that's been a really demanding role and I'm currently working with our board to step out of that. Um, my ideal at the moment would be to be in a few days a week in sort of a marketing role for Empire Australia, but then to be able to support Jossie a bit more on the international side of things again. So, so day to day, it's looked chaotic for the last three years, <laughs> is the well, summary. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know. And, and uh, my interactions with you over the last year, it certainly seems like you are, you have this unique ability to fly at 10,000 feet and 10 feet all at the same time. You know more about the details and the strategy than just about anybody I've seen, which, you know, it just takes a lot oh, of work. So it's amazing. Thank um, you. Yes, it does feel a bit like that though at times. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, so one of the things that's impressed me about Impart is uh, you guys have continued to grow um, despite yes. a lot of shifts, honestly, in, in how people think about uh, missions, uh, global missions, you've, you've continued to grow, uh, especially over the last 20 years, there's been some massive shifts. And um, Australia hasn't had the best little economic run here in the last little bit either, yet you guys continue to take big steps forward. So tell me a little bit about your strategy, how you think you've been able to weather that form, storm and just keep moving forward. Yeah, okay. So when I came back into the office in Australia three years ago, one of the first things that I, I pushed, and it's, you, you'll hear it's a bit of a theme for me, is what's our culture? Um, and right at the core of who we are as Empire are two things that I think we had kind of lost as the Australian, within the Australian office, and that's um, partnership and generosity. We're empowering partnerships is really, really important to us. In fact, the name Empire we actually coined from those two words. We took the emp off empowering mm. and off partnerships. That's and great. That's we came up with the name Empowering Partnerships Equals Empire. Um, and and I, I just felt like we had lost some of that. And I guess what I mean by empowering partnerships is that it's two-way. Um, we're not looking at um, donors as people who give to us full stop or period, sorry. <laughs> right language to the right people. <laughs> a, a full stop is a period. <laughs> um, I'm with you. <laughs> So, so it's not about give us your money, period. It's about how do we partner with you for the kingdom? And, and so that may be that they're giving, but how, what, how do we partner back with them? You know, and that, that needs to be by information, keeping them informed about what's happening on the field. It needs to be inspiration. You know, what's God doing? So, I mean, some of the healings that we hear about are just phenomenal. There's been one recently that as they've been praying for the woman, needles have been coming out of her body. Wow. That, that's just incredible. For us yeah. in the West, that's like stuff that stories are made of. But, but our pastor is actually seeing even a needle out of this woman's eye has come out and, and actually got the needles in hand. Like it's, you know, multiple witnesses. It's not something that's being made up. So to be able to feed those things back to partners, that's partnership. Um, prayer for people. So probably the biggest thing that I did was this focus back on the on the, what does partnership mean and how do we make that happen. Um, prayer has become a really big part of that. So we have people, we have volunteers who come into the office just to make prayer partnership calls to our partners. 
Um, you won't hear me say donors very much because we just see it as so much more than just the money. I, to me, I feel cold and calculating when I talk about donors. Yep. Um, whereas it's partnership. And I think that's in really in keeping with Virtuous's language too, Gabe. That's right. Which was really drew me to you guys when we were first looking for a new database. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, that focus on, on partnership. So, so the core, we, like all of our um, main team, but then we also have these volunteers who will come in specifically to call our partners and to pray with them. Um, and that's been really exciting. You know, we've seen some fabulous things over the years. And um, just, just a few weeks ago, one of the girls was on the phone to someone and she said, the, the partner said, I love this about Empire. You guys call and ask what, what, how you can pray for us, not just to give it. <laughs> and that was, you know, it was yeah. just so encouraging to hear someone articulate what we're working so hard to do. That's great. Yeah, I, I love that. I think, um, you know, one of the big things that, that comes up as a common theme with nonprofits that we see that are very, very successful is thinking about generosity, not yes coercing others to be generous, but actually being generous yes. first. And so generosity begets generosity. And so I think a lot of nonprofits don't fully grasp that, that if they actually are thinking about how to give first, and, and that includes, you know, their quote unquote donors, um, in yes. your case partners. But if you if you are generous first, if you think about how you're giving to them first, then generosity begets generosity. But too too many people have that backwards. They're thinking about how to exploit donors for dollars as opposed yeah. to truly partnering and giving to people. Um, and it's not just uh, a lot of people can put that on their letterhead or on their website, but actually shifting no. the culture to think that way yes. is another thing entirely. Yes, and, and I would say even to the extent, Gabe, that not just culture, not just organizations, individuals, too many individuals aren't generous anymore. Yep. And yet as Christians, it's it's one of the core things that we're called to is a life yep. of generosity yep. of over and above what we have to do. Yep. Um, and, and I think, I, I guess that's my, that's one of the challenges as a culture keeper, you know, how to inculcate that kind of culture within in the individuals yep. because, not within the individuals in the organization it's not going to come out as yeah. an expression of the organization so yeah that's a in fact generosity is the other other key value that i would have mentioned there as well as empowering partnerships that's great well i know you critical one of the things i know you guys um are big on is this kind of uh abc uh partnership model um, yeah. And I've, I've heard a lot about it. Can you tell me a little bit of it? Because I think it'd be beneficial for our listeners to kind of understand how you guys think sure. about that. Sure. So um, we, we kind of split our, um, all of our partners into three core groups and we call them ABC. Um, a is, is actually individuals, but we refer to them as Ad, Adam and Annie to fit with the A. <laughs> B is the businesses and C is the churches. So we sort of see those as the three core groupings that we address. I, I know for you guys in the US, foundations are really big. For yep. us in Australia, not so big. Um, and so most foundation-y type relationships, more, for us, more come under individuals. Um, some may fit into the business side. Um, you know, if they're really big foundations, then they'd fit sort of in more into the business model. But a lot of them, we actually have relationship with the the donor, the person behind it. 
um, who started the foundation. Um, so yeah, so we work with ABC all the time. So any any communication that we're sending out, we we think across those three areas. You know, what do we want to say to the individuals, to Adam and Annie? What do we want to say to the businesses? And what do we want to say to the churches? Um, and so obviously there's some communications that are only to churches. They're not to Adam and Annie or businesses um, and, and vice versa for the other areas. Whereas a lot of communications are to all three, but with slightly different messaging. Yep. Then within each of those, we work on a um, tier uh, and we've we've actually just cha changed this a little bit because of um, very positive things we see within Virtuous, Gabe, you'll be interested to hear. Yeah. So previously we're just using um, whether someone had never given, if they were a one-off giver, a recurring giver or a lapsed giver or a major donor. Now we've we've split it up to actually to giving a giving tier, yep. more than those groupings. Um, and then, so within our giving tier for us in Empire Australia and every organisation is different with this, we say that if someone's giving over 5000 a year, we put them in an, into our major donor bracket yep. um, and our development team will handle that. Whereas anything under 5000 a year, our marketing team handles. And that's just out the broad stroke that we use to try and um, delineate there. Within each giving tier, then we would be considering, okay, are they a current giver? You know, if I'm in the, say, 1,000 to 5,000 bracket, is this a current giver? Are they a lapsed giver? Or are they a recurring giver within that? And so our messaging would be slightly different again within those three brackets. Yeah. So effectively, if you... So, so we split never givens and then under 1,000 for the year, 1 to 5,000 for the year, 5 to 10... 10 to 25 and 25 plus. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six different giving tiers across those three. So effectively that's 18 segments yep. straight away there. But then under any of our donors, there are times when we consider that is, are they a current giver, are they a recurring giver or are they a lapsed giver? Yep. And we may message slightly differently across those three as well. Um, does that help? With yeah, it, it helps a ton. So let me ask a, a follow-up question there because this yeah, is one yeah. that I think every nonprofit grapples with. Uh, it, you know, the way we think about the world is you want to be as personalized as possible. And so if you can use things like um, algorithms that help vary your gift ask and you can use things like marketing automation, you can start actually driving down to, you know, at the smallest common denominator, each person as their own tier because each person yes. has a different yes. giving capacity. They have a different set of passions and preferences. And so, yes. um, but logistically that's really hard. So even what you described there, you're, you're mm -hmm. maintaining different messaging for, you know, we call it 16 different personas. Like when you have your donor splits and then your businesses and your um, churches, it's yeah. it, it just the amount of content, even if you're varying messaging a little bit, seems like a lot. I, um, uh, you know, I have personal opinions on this, but I always like to ask nonprofits like you that are on the cutting edge, how you how you handle even managing the messaging and content. Do you have somebody on staff that helps with that? What does that look like for you guys? Yeah, so we do. So we have, um, I'm engaged very strongly in this area. Yep. And um, I've got a graphic designer who also does copyright uh, copywriting as well. 
Um, so the two of us have focused on this. Um, reality is often you go, you know what, the messaging is actually the same. Yeah. Um, so often the messaging doesn't have to be hugely different. Yeah. Um, the reason we use that matrix over the top of everything is that so is so that we stop and think. Is what I'm saying to Adam and Annie what I want to say to the church? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I would probably say 50-50. Sometimes it's perfectly okay. You know, say the, there's been terrible flooding in North India, Nepal recently. Yep. A lot of our messaging there is all the same. Yep. Um, you know, because it's about what's going on. The flood is desperate. Whereas there's other times when we, we would want to be engaging people differently. So how we want to engage the church is totally different to how we would go about engaging an individual. Um, yep. So I guess we, we use it more as a matrix to put over the top of every communication we're doing and say, yep. and ask the question, do we need to segment this further? Yeah. Um, and 50% of the time, no, we don't. Yeah. I think that's great. And I think that's where I try to tell people to start too, is just um, start with some of the basic stuff. So in your yes. top donor tier, don't ask yes. people for $30 a month. Yes. You know, and, you know, and so very gift ask, and then you can vary your call to action. So in your, yes. in your lower group, you say, Hey, did you know, um, $50 a month supports all of the resources that a missionary church planner need in India. But at your top yeah. end, you say, Oh, or in your church group, your church can help plant another church, right? So everything, all the content leading up to that call to action may be actually pretty similar. But once you get yeah. that call to action, give them a hook that as their persona, they can wrap their heart and mind around. And so, you know, yes. you start basic and it can get more complex over time, but just those simple things can make a lot of difference. Yes. And, and for us, I think that's where having ABC has really helped yep. because really broad stroke, you know, I mean, putting yep. all individuals in one camp, Yep. <laughs> but they are different to churches. Yeah. So, so for us, that's really worked just as a big broad stroke matrix. Um, and then the, the giving tiers lets us be much more specific within that. Yeah. Well, I love that. Um, yeah. I think, uh, I mean, this is, this is a little off topic and I know we're on a podcast and it's turning into more conversation, but I think that um, the idea of being able to start driving project messaging is a really nice first step. And so if you know they're giving to a specific program in India, then being able to segment that way, because that's something you can actually kind of merge information into. And so I think that was a good one. And the other split where we see big increases, the way you guys have seen increases is by splitting out the people that are better financial givers from the people that are better social relational givers. And so beginning yes. to look for your, your church pastors or your Twitter mavens or whatever and kind of give them a different set of messaging but you know and again that's that's it's like you guys you keep big broad categories to start with but once you yes. see it work you can get more nuanced yeah and love how virtuous picks those things up too which is really good yeah thanks mm -hmm. I, I appreciate all your plugs most <laughs> most of the people we have on the, our podcast aren't actually virtuous users but and i love the extra plug that's awesome um, <laughs> and, and just for any listeners, I'm not being paid by Gabe for it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Um, okay, so a uh, couple of the quick things to finish up here. Um, uh, 
you know, I know Jossie's gone about six months of the year. You have four kids. I have five kids. And so we're, we're in, in the thick of it. Like you guys are, you're leading an organization, um, day to day, you know, you're not without travel yourself. How are you staying sane right now, especially over the last year? Oh my gosh, you've had so much going on, but how do you stay sane? How do you kind of keep burnout out of the picture, um, with everything going on in your life? Yeah, it was really, int I, I had the privilege of having this question before we talked, before you've just given it to me, and it's made, do I stay sane? <laughs> Not totally sure that I do at times. Um, and there, to be honest, there really hasn't been um, a lot of space to add anything else in. Yep. But I was, as I was reflecting about it, I'm an extrovert by nature. So for me, relationships are really important. And my kids have just been an absolute godsend in the last couple of years. So we like, yes, they're my kids and yes, I have to care for them and all of those things, but we have so many light fun moments around the house as well. Um, so for me, that's been a, a huge part of staying sane. That's great. There's, there's things that I, you know, I would love to do more of. I love the whole writing side of things. I had a little blog called mothersareleaders.com that it's been sitting doing nothing for the last three years because I couldn't continue to do that and run mm -hmm. in part of at the same time. But I do get um, restorative space, I guess, just by sitting down and stopping and writing, um, you know, even if it's just journaling. Um, but, but I find that when I'm writing, I can bring um, strategy that's, perhaps playing in my head, I can bring it to reality. So even on a personal level, you know, if it's, gosh, I need to be getting out and walking more than I am. If I can sit down and journal through that, that really helps me big time. Um, That's great. Yeah. I, I love that. I, we, we've had that conversation so many times, even with, we use this tool Slack around the office as our communication platform. And I've Slack turned off a good chunk of the day just because you get involved in just the barrage of, of craziness that your mind never actually shuts down enough to have the big thoughts that it needs to have. So the discipline of things like writing and just quiet and turning off technology. I mean, these are like, um, you miss so many opportunities if you're not diligent to make the effort to do it. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I'm just restarting the vegetable garden too. So hopefully that <laughs> that's that space that's required. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Um, Okay, last couple of questions here, just kind of our normal lightning round. I love asking these two questions as we finish up, but uh, in the last year or two, what book have you read that's had the greatest impact on you? And and you have, with four kids and a crazy job, you have the, the you can go back three or four years if you want to, because. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so there's always the books about um, parenting and mothering yeah. and life, that's right. lifestyle and rest and all that sort of thing. But I, I think actually the book that I'm actually still reading is um, a book by a guy called Greg Murtha, um, who I know you know, Gabe, but yep. um, if you've never heard of Greg Murtha, I would strongly encourage you to just Google him. He, Greg actually passed away this year, but he wrote a book called Out of the Blue. Um, and, and I have just, it's been a restorative thing just reading it. Um, Greg was able to really put down in words what it means to put God first and to genuinely do that. Um, like just one tiny thing here, this a chapter called God's Math. 
Doing God's will God's way provides a multiplication effect I never experienced when I focused on my own simple addition plan. Um, and, and I've just, you know, one thing after another, life is less taxing and more productive when I live in obedience to what God leads me to do and not the other way around. Trust me, God's math works. Hmm. Yeah, so I, for me, that's been a, um, a big impact one. It's nothing to do with empire, nothing to do with yeah. marketing, yeah. but it's, it's just been a really fabulous book. Yeah. Well, I know for those of us, you know, that sort of got to walk uh, with Greg through um, his process of dying of cancer, uh, it has been... Uh, if you don't know the guy or haven't read the book, um, just kind of reading him, you, you got to see kind of what he stood for. I, you know, the thing that amazed me is every time I would run him, you know, he might've been, you know, just coming from chemo, might've been his first time out of the house and, you know, six weeks and immediately, you know, he's laughing with me and asking me what yeah. he can do to serve me. I mean, just a, yeah. a different sort of wiring altogether, which was amazing. Which is generosity. Yeah, that's right. Again, you know, it goes back to that really living, really genuinely living those values. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, okay. Last one. Uh, podcasts. Uh, do you have a favorite podcast or um, if you don't do the podcast thing, you can always default to super cool TV shows that you like, but do you have a podcast that you've listened to that yeah. you really enjoy? Yeah, I do. I've got a couple. Um, I love Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income. Cool. Um, yeah. He's just, Pat is one of these authentic guys. Um, he's an internet marketer. He's got nothing to do with nonprofits, but I find every time I listen to him, I learn things about culture and values just in the way he does his podcasts. Um, but also he's just a source of, uh, his podcast's amazing for keeping you up with current trends um, in the whole internet space. Um, in the whole marketing space, great value. Um, and then there's a lady called Beth Brodowski who has a um, podcast called Driving Participation. Um, and she would be, that would be my favorite nonprofit um, podcast as well. That's great. I love that. There's... But until, until, until I've listened to the Virtuous podcast, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I appreciate it. No, we, we love sharing great content from other people. And so there's, and part of the reason we're in this is just not enough great nonprofit, nonprofit podcasts. So every time I find one, that's really good. Agreed. I'm happy yes. to share it. So that's great. Agreed. Well, Jenny, it has been a pleasure today chatting with you. It's always oh, so much pleasure, fun, Dave. such a great time. So thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. And thank you. To learn more or to subscribe to the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser podcast, visit virtuouscrm.com.